OSL is the leading distributor of radiotherapy patient positioning equipment and physics QA products for the UK and Ireland, supplying both the NHS and private sectors. We currently have a busy event schedule and will be attending many conferences in the next few months and many of the regional study days. For a full list of where to meet us, please do get in touch. As well as our event schedule, we also have a busy product portfolio that has recently been updated to. This includes Sky Factory for state-of-the-art visual LED lighting. We have MyQA Ion and Ion RT from IBA for automated patient-specific QA for photon, electron and proton radiotherapy. And we also have MR Box from our AI suppliers at Therapanacea, allowing AI-powered MR-only workflows for a more consistent and high-quality planning pathway. For SGRT, we have a vast range of open-faced thermoplastic masks, as well as surface-guided compatible clear bolus from ClearSight, preventing any risk of interference between the skin surface and your SGRT solution. And as always, do not hesitate to get in touch to discuss your product and service requirements with our friendly and knowledgeable team. Our account and clinical specialists are from a radiotherapy and physics background, and we are more than happy to chat about the clinical benefits and the workflow of all of our products. Good morning and welcome to Rad Chat, the multi-award winning oncology podcast led by two therapeutic radiographers. My name is Jane McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host Norman Joel Anderson. Hi everyone. So we're here at UKIO and we are joined by our first guest of the day. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, my name is William Simner and I'm a business development manager and strategy lead for Cure UK. That sounds like a really posh, fancy title. <laughs> so tell us, what, what does that mean you do? So essentially it's trying to bring tools into clinicians' hands to trying to figure out who can use them, how they're going to use them within the NHS and the private sector. Right. So what's your kind of background? So background is actually a cardiac physiologist. So I was an right. health professional by training. So I did that for about eight years in a variety of settings. Um, before joining the industry, sort of I spoke to a few people about what, where I'd go next and the big deal was kind of helping even more people, sort of, yeah. I guess, in, in one go and, and at that kind of scale. So, um, yeah, I joined originally with, with Philips and moved around a little bit since then. I've ended up at Cure about two and a half months ago. Do you miss the clinical work? I do, uh, particularly from an intellectual perspective. It's fascinating. I look at an image, a diagnostic image, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And it's that auto, auto, autonomous, automatic kind of response, I think. So I do miss that side of things. And again, seeing patients' faces when you've you know, you found something, but something that can be you know, resolved. Um, I do miss that feeling. So what is it that the company does? So kind of our mission statement is to help make healthcare affordable and accessible using AI. What that really means is you know, our, our team have built a set of tools, AI-powered tools, that are rigorously regulated. Um, just I'm glad you get that in, yeah. because obviously that's the one big fear, isn't it, with AI? It, it is, and they have been rigorously regulated. We have our CE mark for a reason, we have our FDA for a reason, because we've done that due diligence and bodies have done their due diligence on us. But really it's about building tools that support clinicians try to do more with the same resources, which has been a, something that's been asked of clinicians for years, I've experienced it, you both have experienced that many people listening today would have done as well. How many people work for the company? I'm always interested. So it's about over 200 now. I think it started off around six. It's grown quite substantially. So we've um, started off in Mumbai. We're actually in 75 countries now, around the world. So we're in some state deployments around the world. So we're kind of building up our UK presence. So we have quite a growing team here. We've got lots of our colleagues visiting over from Mumbai and Bangalore as well with us at the booth today. 
So when you kind of say that obviously you're using AI, what's the AI actually looking at? Diagnostic scans or uh, MRI scans or plain film? So uh, chest x-ray okay. uh, as well as CT. So we have our, our chest x-ray product. We have CT for lungs, so for lung cancer screening, um, as well as for head, so for traumatic brain injury. How quick can it register a problem? It's all less than a minute. So it's been built for speed because one of the big big points about this is, is doing all with the same resources and increasing efficiencies for, for clinicians and support staff across the board. So it's all about speed, the ability to triage very quickly whether something is, is abnormal or normal and being, uh, allowing clinicians to prioritise that for those patients who care. So we've got an AI series that has just launched and really lucky to have two amazing professionals uh, join us yesterday um, and launching that podcast series. But in terms of some of the things they were talking about was the fact that obviously AI is almost like Marmite. You love it or hate it. Um, or maybe hate's not the right word. Maybe it's about un being uneducated or fearful because of films or stereotypes of AI. Yeah, it's a whole bunch of those things. We're, AI in healthcare is on a journey from kind of this undesirable to undeniable. We are somewhere on that journey right now and I don't want to say buy-in, it's trust. Yeah. You know, it, it has to get the trust of not just uh, clinicians but patients as well. Yeah. Um, and what I want to see more of, it's a great forum for it, is patients coming and telling their stories about early detection. Yeah. You know, incidentally, you know, there's, there's the stories of patients going into A&E maybe with a fall, have their you know, potential rib fracture, otherwise asymptomatic. And AI within one minute has looked at that chest x-ray and said, well, there's signs of a, a lung nodule here, something suspicious, the patient needs attention. I want to hear more where patients have said, yeah, the AI helped pick that up. Yeah. A clinician may not have even seen that, a clinician may not have even seen the x-ray for however how long, or maybe outsourced. Um, I want to see patients saying that rather than the all too familiar story of patients going to A&E presenting with symptoms and they're being told it's stage 3 or stage 4 lung cancer, for example. So that's companies like ours creating these tools that have lung cancer screening tool uh, to support. I mean, like I said, I want to hear from patients, not so much the industry like myself, yeah. because there is that so conscious bias and unconscious bias that will always be present when we're talking about it. You mentioned about education, it's a huge education piece, and it's again, it's where we can support um, institutions in doing that without having branding all over it. If we have a priority system, does that not mean that more routine scans will be delayed to be reported? That's a great question, and there's this big debate about where, how do, where do we go with this? Well, we can flip that on its head and say, well, actually, we want to empower reporting radiographers as, as well as radiologists. We want to encourage that growth, that movement. Um, we can see these advanced radiographers coming through reporting and being able to say, right, we can give those to, to radiographers to review. We've got a, a tool behind it as that. I suppose first pair of eyes in the sense of the triaging, but also a second pair of eyes for that radiographer to give them a high, high degree of confidence that if, if that tool says it's normal, they review it, because of course we'll have that human presence, but it will be normal. And, and that's where we kind of want to flip that on its head. Instead of, instead of thinking about delays, actually, it will help speed things up across the board. If you have the capabilities to maybe report quicker utilising the AI, do you think there's the potential then for patients having more screening? So, you know, essentially I know 
America is a very different system to the UK, but you know, lots of patients will have a full CT scan every couple of years. Um, do you envisage that that could be made more of a possibility in the UK because of the use of AI? Or do you think that that's still an abuse of kind of utilising radiation in that way? That's a great point. It's, it's patient safety. It's, it's weighing up that risk, yeah. which, which only the clinicians can really do in terms of justifying it. Um, but in terms of simple things like an x-ray, we're already doing it in the sense of you can come for an x-ray. I gave that example of a, a form. But our tool looks at over 30 abnormalities. So it will, it will pick things up that we aren't actually looking for, that clinicians aren't thinking of because patients aren't presenting with a specific symptom that highlights and points them to that route. And we're coming into a very busy A&E where the consultants are right, what we had done, what tests we had done. Okay, this is yes, going to incidentally, and likewise normal is one of those findings, right? I mean, every scan's going to be, gonna be uh, significant. Um, but that's a great point. I think it is about weighing up the, the risks. I mean, you see screeners in the private sectors being used, and you think, okay, patients are going quite frequently for those. And it's great to have that health checkup, but they are giving themselves a fair dosage every few years. Is there a false positive or a false negative rate? Sort of 99% sens uh, sensitivity, for example, for our test um, x-ray tool. These tools will only get better over time as well, and the more we train them. So again, with any AI in general, you can keep training anything, training people. If you put garbage in, you get garbage out. So if you put in uh, verified data, verified with human expertise, that humans have seen it and verified and trained that tool, you're, you're going to get reproducible results that are, that are reliable. And that's what we ask of our clinicians to produce every single day. Yeah. Um, so and that's why we, we constantly retrain our, in our algorithms with learnings from sites where we've, we've put the, uh, the tools into the clinicians' hands and we've got our feedback from them. It's that constant feedback loop we can just keep making accurate and better and better products. It's going to be hard for you to answer this, but I'm going to ask the question. <laughs> Do you think that there's a possibility that in the future, the more kind of sensitive and more accurate that the AI gets, that there's a potential then for over-reliance from radiologists? And actually, there could be that potential for radiologists to go, well, because the AI hasn't picked anything up, there's no way I'm going to see anything in addition. And actually, my role as radiologist is just to check that I am confirming what the AI has, rather than actually looking at the entirety of that patient. It, it's, it's a support tool. I think that there's always the argument that if, if something's been triaged, it's already your bias going into it. Yeah. So, right, there's definitely something on here. I've got to try and find it. Okay, the AI's drawn a box around this. Okay, great, I'll just focus on the shiny thing effectively and may not look at the rest of the scan. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think radiologists and important radiologists by nature will want to investigate. I don't think they'll get lazy. We know this this, this horrible stat, of sort of, it's always growing, but 44% um, shortage of radiologists, for example, by 2026. Um, so anywhere where we can help support them increase the efficiency in their reporting, um, think it's only going to be a good thing, a positive thing. What would you give advice-wise to people on AI to take away from this episode? It's, it's getting information about AI from the right sources. We've seen the newspaper headlines in the last few weeks, and we've seen people who have been, you know, the, the godfathers of AI have been, have been coming out and giving it a bit of a bad rep. What I have noticed is that they don't really talk about AI in healthcare that much. They talk about weaponry and rules and things like that. And that's because it's highly regulated. I mentioned touching it right at the start. Highly, highly regulated. 
So it's, it's reach out to, yes, there'll be a bias because we're industry, but reach out to us for information. We, we had some great discussions with people who, who aren't at the event as, as exhibitors or delegates, but just working here, just reaching out saying, hey, I've heard this about AI. Yeah. You know, can ask you a few questions, which is really interesting. Um, and for clinicians, I think more and more so it's going to be built into training programs, there'll be modules on it, uh, both at the university and sort of CPD as well, um, which I see industry supporting a, you know, a great deal of, uh, without the bias, but just um, bringing that education to putting it in the hands of clinicians and patient groups as well. So I've been overwhelmed by how many exhibitors are here, um, kind of flogging AI. Um, do you think potentially having lots of different systems and software is going to negatively impact data transfer? You know, I'm just thinking about maybe patient systems that already exist in the NHS that vary between regions. We already, as practitioners, get so frustrated when you're like, oh, I can't access something and, you know, I'm literally going to have to print it off and send it in the post. Do you think, you know, how does it work with AI? Is that an issue? So from the ground up, just as an example for us, we built our tools to be vendor agnostic. Right. So we will work with you know, who your PACS vendor is, is etc. But I still remember the time when I'd scan a pediatric patient and have to put the scan on a DVD, secure, <laughs> put it in a taxi yep. and send it from Kettering to Leicester. So that by the time the patients got there, they've, they've been able to maybe, hopefully, download the study. Um, and in that region, luckily those days are gone with, it, with the image sharing and advent of that. But it's a challenge to the industry. Um, and we knew from day zero that that's how it had to be. We had to partner up and work with the PAX providers and the larger businesses um, and build a suite of products. So we have four regulated products right now, um, which I anticipate only growing. Um, because you don't want to have to look at 17 different AI vendors for just for radiology, for example. Yeah, yeah. You just don't want to have to do that. As, as someone trying to cure, it must be an awful headache. Yeah. So um, it's, it's a challenge to industry to, to make things interoperable. I'm going to ask a sensitive question. Again, you don't have to answer it. How expensive is AI? Like if I'm, if I'm looking to purchase you know, one of your, your kind of packages, what kind of money are we talking about? Because in my mind, I'm using free chat GPT and it's... So it's on the SPS framework. Again, we've done that for a reason. So we've been vetted that there's pricing on there that right. the trust can have access to. And it means we've vetted from a financial due diligence standpoint, regulatory standpoint as well. Um, typically, AI is priced to be, like I mentioned right at the start, a mission statement, affordable and accessible. It's about volume. There's no good trying to sell it to a hospital where they do a couple of thousand scans a year. Yeah. They're not going to see that, that benefit. So it, it, it is about keeping costs reasonable for, for trusts because out the other end, you know, we, we're a prospective study now, for example. We, we want to prove that heck, it is cost effective yeah. and will reduce time. So efficiency, time saving, sort of cost saving. So it's very reasonably priced. Any figures? No. <laughs> <laughs> so check out your website. Exactly. And the SPS, like I said, any NHS trust who's part of that can access that and find okay. us on there. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's okay. been a pleasure. Um, I have no doubt that lots of people will come and have a chat with you just to talk more about AI and find out about it. And hopefully you can reassure them that it's not Terminator taking over healthcare. Certainly not. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you.